The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. I'm Richard Himmer, and uh, I'm here with my bride, Sherry. So the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about growth and healing from the inside out. Remember, you're 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So, Sherry Baron, that last segment we had, we talked a lot about in utero, the impact of the trauma in utero. So let's, if you would do me a favor and just recap kind of what we covered, and then we're going to go into the eight narratives, the false narratives that we, we fight with, and then what do we do with that? So we we were able to really bring our awareness to the point of that some of our repeated behaviors that mess us up come from our very beginnings. And going to our statement, we always start our show off with we're 100% responsible for our happiness, joy, and well-being. Sometimes that can feel heavy, like I don't want to have to be 100% responsible. And if it happened to me in utero, then am I really responsible? Well, the responsibility comes in what you make out of those choices of what you do with that new awareness of, okay, something beyond my control may have happened from my very conception. Mm -hmm. And it may be affecting why I do the stupid things I hate. And now and that my I'm, spouse hate and my friends hate and, and it my messes me hate. up and it gets me off track from the things that I really want in life. Yep. And so now that I'm aware of that, what can I do with it? And and so not to sit there and go like, well, I have no control. I have no responsibility because this happened to me when That's I was a the baby. That's helpless, hopeless me. Yeah. And that just sets you up for being a victim. Right. Being aware that things happen to you in utero is not for, it's not a card for you to say, okay, you're a victim and you've always been and you will always be. That's not the point of it. Well the point of that in utero awareness is to stop one, blaming yourself, but then now to become more more self-efficacy, um, to be able to advocate for yourself and 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 change that narrative to understand that that narrative may have started with your very beginnings but there are things that you can do and that's what we want to really um, bring out into this segment is that you can change your those false narratives 
let's define what a false narrative is so it makes sense. So um, in the last segment, what we did is we covered the idea that uh, we told, th told the story of Dr. Gabor Mate. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go to his story. So at, um, at conception, 1943, he's living in, he's in Budapest, Hungary. Um, his mother, of course, they were Jews. His mother was going through this trauma of the fact that Hitler might come into Budapest, right? Mm -hmm. So at birth, a month after birth, Hitler comes marching in the city. And as a Jewish baby, he starts crying, along with thousands of other Jewish babies who are all starting to yeah. cry. I mean, so literally his little baby body is filled up with cortisol and stressed out. And so the baby is going to react and being inconsolable. And all right. these Jewish babies were. So, you know, march forward into his life. He has that pattern in his body and he's living in America and he's living under, you know, not the same experiences of, of, of 1943 Budapest, Hungary. Right. And even though that may be written into the cells of his body, he can't sit there and be watching TV in his lazy boy and saying, okay, I'm under a siege from Hitler. His body may be feeling that. And so that is a really profound false narrative. Well, I want that to, I want, he has to be able to unwrite. Let's, let's draw that connection. So as a baby, he doesn't have the ability. It's just not, no, there's no capacity. No. And he'll continue to compound that belief structure. And he'll look for reasons why he should feel that way. Yeah. When we say you're 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being, that doesn't take anything away from the fact that something happened to you outside your control. So it, that's what happened to him. He could not control the fact that the world was at war that he's Jewish. And he's born into the war right. as so, the target so of So none Hitler. of those things yeah. could he control. But once he got to a cognitive level, so his the maturation has come in there, it, that's where awareness is so critical. And in the research, and we might get to it in this segment on the marshmallows, remember the ability to, um, to delay gratification? The good old marshmallow study, yeah. So in the marshmallow study, what the researchers found was that those babies with high self-awareness and high self-regulation, which are two attributes of emotional intelligence, did better in life. Well, you can start that process anytime you want. I would argue that in my life, I didn't have any awareness or any regulation until I was probably in my 30s. That was a, that was a long incubation period to start growing with emotional intelligence. And kudos to you, you were able to still be married to me during that time frame. But the point is that every one of us are still responsible regardless of what happened to us. It's not that you're responsible for what happened. You're now responsible for what you do with what has happened. So life happens. Let's say you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict or you're a sarcasticist or you love your criticism or controlling or you're bullying. All right. There's a really good scientific explanation as to why you're that way. But there's also a really good scientific explanation for how to get out. And that's kind of what we want to go with now. Okay. So over the years, I've got eight different narratives that are common themes. That doesn't mean there aren't there aren't more than eight. So these are narratives you found to be pretty predominant with the cases you've worked with in here in your office. Right. So what I want to do is set this up, go back to in utero for a second and mm -hmm. set it up and let's see what narratives we can we can pull out of this one. So again, you're in utero and your mother and the reason you're in utero is your mother's been raped. Okay, that's horrible. Right. Like, so the, let's start like there. just to even think of what that must feel like for that baby. And your mother has been hospitalized. 
and she's recovering and she's young and she's, let's say she's 14 or 15 and you're living at home in a society in the 50s or 60s where that type of stuff, they usually blamed the girl or the woman. Okay. So you come into this world that you are a huge mistake, you're unwanted, um, and that you've come from a source of evil. And your mother has to give you up for adoption because it's inappropriate in her, right. in her realm, in her society, to be pregnant as a teenager in high school. So every, every cell in your body is saying you're rejected. That's horrible. That's, yeah. that, it would, I mean, that's a lot to overcome. I mean, how, I mean, so here we are heaping this up into a really difficult case, but how do you unravel right. that feeling of I'm horrible and I'm rejected? And the challenge is I'm not making it up. I this know. is the this stuff is a, that it's happens. Hard. It's yeah. hard because I know you've had these cases. And so someone comes in my office and they're, they're a cocaine addict. They're on 13 medications prescribed by doctors. Three psychiatrists have said, you haven't got a prayer. You give up. You're broken. No one can repair you. And they walk in my office and say, okay, you're my last hope. You're my Hail Mary. Um, and if he hadn't said yes today, I'd have been dead by now already. Remember, we did this interview. Mm -hmm. So the role is, what, are, what is this person telling herself or people like her? So here's one of them. I have no worth. Now, I've shared this story before, and it's worthy of repeating. When I have clients come in my office, we read that marker on my wall that says, I am of worth. This particular client couldn't even read it aloud. Her head just started going left to right. I can't say that. I said, what are you feeling? She goes, that isn't true. That is not me. I cannot say I am of worth. She didn't even say that. She just said, I can't say, and she pointed. Yeah, she couldn't even. She couldn't even say it. She, she couldn't pointed. hardly look at it. So what she's saying, I am of no worth. I have no worth. Another thing she was saying, and, and I'll just read the eight so you guys can get a feel for it. So these are the eight false narratives that are predominant with those people um, who are, I, I wanted to say that their, their bodies and their cells are crying out to figure it out. Yeah, and go back to the idea that we're hardwired to connect. Yeah. It doesn't matter who they are. If you remember, I got to tell a story about my brother on this one. It's pretty fun. Okay, let's um, go to the so eight false number narratives. Number one, I, I have no worth. Mm -hmm. How do you behave if you have no worth? Starting at two, move yourself to four. Put them in school. How that child that's going to just disrupt okay, the classroom? Okay, teacher. Yeah. How does the seven-year-old act in school if she or he believes that they have no worth? I don't deserve. What don't you deserve? I don't deserve love. I don't deserve trust and respect. I don't, I don't deserve, deserve success. I don't deserve. Oh my gosh, there are people who come in here who will who are entrepreneurs and they want to figure out how to bust through. And they're always, they're always saying, well, um, I just don't think I can get. No, what you're afraid of is success. Yeah. You're not afraid of failure. You got failure down, friend. That's what you know. That's your friend. What you're afraid of is being successful. And that's a hard paradigm to swallow. And then as you get talking to them, you realize, oh. Yeah, I, I just wonder how when you really come to the minutia of things that we sabotage, like we can be doing great for a while and then things will fall apart. It's because like that belief that you can only be this much successful. You can't be all the way successful. Okay, so I'm yeah. going to skip down to one. Um, I can't have mutual trust and respect and I'm not lovable. How many times have I told the story of couples sitting before me 
who've been getting along, they've been following the pattern. This process has been working. They've been doing the awareness journal. They've been holding board of directors right. meetings. And then out of nowhere, one of the two will absolutely explode and implode. And they have no idea why. And they feel like, I've heard them describe like, it's a script that comes in that they have to sabotage what's been happening good because they can't have that much good in their life. Right. It's, that's tragic. And it hurts. Yeah, Just, it, it does hurt. Saying that story, you can viscerally feel for somebody, and yet we judge these people as though they're broken. We judge them, and that makes it ev that much harder, especially if, okay, let's just say it's me that's broken, and I'm trying to figure this out, and this is the narrative I have. I have no worth, I'm not lovable, and I can't have mutual trust and respect. Mm -hmm. And every time you reach out to me, um, I shut you down in some fashion or another. With time, you're going to become calloused. And every time I then start to heal, you're going to be my biggest challenge because you won't let me heal. You'll judge me. Oh, I, you're, you've done this before. And it's really challenging because I'm not trying to put a, a blame on anyone. But imagine what the spouse goes through with an addict who can't seem to get the, the ship corrected. The spouse is just as much challenge and pain. I've seen them in the office just not knowing where to go. Yes, I got one right now. My husband is a wreck. I need you to fix my husband, which of course I cannot do. But while on the other hand, she's so resistant to everything that every time he tries to do something, she shuts him down. It's a it's a dual-edged sword. And yeah. you wonder why that we, we have this world that seems to be f unraveling around us. Yeah, so what you really bring is that over time in our relationships, when we bring those false narratives to our relationships and we repeat them, is that the other person's buying into that narrative as well, and they will repeat it for us. And they'll compound the narrative. Yeah. Uh, okay, another one. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. How many times have you seen people constantly apologize um, for everything? The sun rose in the east today. I'm so sorry, man. I'm really sorry it came up in the east. <laughs> they just they're always sensitive because they need affirmation from everyone else. So you have your affirmation, affection, and approval. So they're going to apologize for everything. And it's always their fault. And it's never anyone else's fault. Um, we've already covered I'm not lovable. I can have no trust and mutual trust and respect. Um, I can never be safe. There's nowhere I'm going to be safe. No matter where they go, they're at risk. Imagine, imagine going through your day virtually 18 hours out of the day with a high cortisol impact. I'm gonna say their amygdala is constant hijacking every experience or yeah. every sensory experience. And so the, the gray matter around the amygdala is really thick because it's getting a lot of usage. What we wanna do is figure out a way to get to the point that we can reduce the gray matter on the amygdala, which is your fight or flight response, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. If we can figure out a methodology without drugs to get to that position. Now we've got the beginnings, the embryo of healing. On a cellular On experience. a cellular yeah. level, right. So we have, uh, then I'm powerless, helpless, and hopeless. And then the-, the That's rest. the victim. There, there's your victim. And then I'm not good enough. Now, some people might go, well, what about the bullies? Where do the bullies fit in here? So think about that. Where do you think a bully would fit in here? Um, because a bully, remember, um, if I'm the bully in the office and I can create havoc for you, yeah. I, my pleasure center is going to light up like a Christmas tree if I know you're in pain. Well, the bully believes in that it's their fault. And so the, they'll create disaster out of just self-projection. 
um, but they'll also believe that you can have mutual trust and respect. And so they're, they're leaving the script of there is no mutual trust and respect, so therefore I have to bully my way. Well said. There's yeah. also a function of powerless, helpless, and hopeless because they have to project right. that onto you right. because they believe the situation is hopeless. But they'll project you the one who's the fault, not me, mm -hmm. which is really just the projection. So if you understand that there, there has yet to be a behavior that I've witnessed over the years that doesn't fit within these eight. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's more, but these are really the ones that I get a lot in the office. So how then do we move past that? So in the time we have left, I do want to tell the story a little bit about my brother um, and then explain how do we move to the point where we can start interrupting this fight or flight mechanism. So I was in Utah a couple of, of weeks ago on business and I was able to slide in uh, 18 holes of golf with my brother. And so we, we did the golfing. It was a lot of fun. And we're driving to, uh, to the restaurant to get something to eat. And we were talking a little bit about behavior, uh, families of origin. We were kind of reminiscing about our families growing up and whatnot. Yeah, because you two were the oldest brothers where, you know, your mom, just to kind of capsulize your story, your mom um, had divorced your guys' biological father. Then you were then adopted by dad Himmer, who was two years later killed in Vietnam. Right. So you'd had two dads leave. Abandoned me. And, and in your life, right. your, yours and Dale's life, really young. And then mom, you know, remarried, and that was rough. Yeah. Because that wasn't a happy no, marriage. Remarried twice. And remarried that man twice. But so there was a lot of disruption even with that one. By then you guys were older. But early, early on, you guys have had two abandonments. So we were talking about Dale's initial years with his in-laws. Mm -hmm. um, and and how much trouble that was because he did not want to go to any family functions. Oh, this sounds so familiar, honey. Where? Where have you heard this oh, before? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> So he had, there was a time frame where he would just not go and then he'd show up every now and then and then they'd fawn all over him and then he'd not go for a while and then they'd fawn all over him. This sounds so interesting. Well, he got fawned on. I got yelled at. Well, so my a mom, difference. my mom. Oh, was, you're right. You're yeah. Her, her version of fawning on you was like, you need to do this, honey. And uh, I really love you, but you need to do this. And it you was were shootology. Like, yeah. Oh, she yeah, was. She was yeah. shitting on me everywhere. Yeah. So in the, her mind, she was fawning on you. And I'd learn that later. Yeah. It was hard when I'm sitting at a dinner table and you guys would put me right next to her. It's like torture. And then she would sit there for the duration of the- she would say, I want Rich to sit next to me. I know, it's not right. It's like that dog of yours. She won't leave me alone. <laughs> so I was telling the story here. Yeah, oh, back yeah, to Dale. Oh, I remember the story. Back to You're Dale. Going to the restaurant. So we were talking about this and, and I said, you know, it's interesting, Dale. Um, you've got a heart of gold. Your heart's as big as the universe, yet you've put a very hard core around your heart. He goes, what do you mean? I don't give a dang what anyone thinks about me, except that's not the word he used. <laughs> I'm sure. And I'm trying to keep this G-rated. <laughs> you can hear my brother coming out, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I, I just leaned forward. He's driving. I leaned forward, so he's clearly got my face in his peripheral vision, and I got as close to him as was safe, and I said, Yes, you do. You give a lot of blank about what people think about you. And I was just quiet. He's he's so interesting because there isn't somebody who doesn't care more deeply. No. But he'll act like he oh, doesn't yeah, care. That hardcore. Like his. he doesn't care. So, so he gets such this, a contrary paradox. Right he there. gets this little wry smile on his face. He goes, 
yeah, you're right, I do. <laughs> but what you've done, brother of mine, is, is you've been able to filter out those people that you don't trust and respect, and you discount them so the noise that they make doesn't get into you, and you're able to block that out. He goes, yeah, that's a healthy way of explaining it. So over 59 years of life, Dale has been able to figure out who means things to him and who doesn't. And if you mean something to Dale, you'll know it by the way he treats you. So just to make sense out of your and Dale's experiences when you lost two dads early in life, and then you both married into families where both Janan and I came from a, a much more stable family picture. I mean, Janan and I, I kind of have some similarities in that respect. And then you guys bring on those in-laws and there's traditions and there's this, you know, a little bit of expectation of family involvement and maybe even a little fawning over, even though it felt like torture. That's a good way of explaining it. Why did it feel that way? Why? Well, what were we telling ourselves? Um, it, it's going to go away. And so I don't want to have any of it. Well, think about the last time you and I got in a fight because it was your fault. What was going on up here? <laughs> <laughs> what was going on up here? But, but as children, you were saying I can't trust. Oh yeah, there's no family way. situations because it's going to dissipate. And I can't have um, that kind of relationship and lovable. Yeah. Oh no no no. Right. Because lovable to us was um, a false sense of. The, that my mother loves me because it's that's all she ever says, but she was never present there. Because of her life yeah, story. She loves me as much as she has the ability to love me, but her connectivity to me- Was, it, was hindered by her right. story. And so I walk into a family where I'm actually getting authentic love in a, what I felt was dysfunctional. Uh, and I look back at it now, I mean, how, how much more can a woman love you than grab your tie, yank you down to her level and tell you that you have to go to dinner with her? Because she loves you. Because she loves yeah. me. At, at her husband's funeral. My mom should have been like the Jewish grandma or something like that, but she was hilarious. <laughs> so Miss go, her dearly. Uh, we only have a couple minutes left, yeah. babe. So we need to get to the, how do you, how do you interrupt this? <laughs> yeah, we even got to the writer and the elephant and all else. No, stuff. we haven't got any of that. So we'll cover this. Um, we've got a really cool guest yeah. coming up in the next segment. And so what we want to do is cover what, what's the interrupt. So years ago, I developed a way to interrupt at the, the um, subconscious level. And so we have five scientists that are operative. We've covered them in the past. So really quick, we have a biased scientist and an, an unscrupulous scientist. These are the deaf and blind scientists. They pull data from yesteryear selectively, and that's only data they see. So when I was having these experiences with your family or Dale with his in-laws, uh -huh. we were telling ourselves stories selectively, selectively. taken exactly. from yesterday. Exactly. So it's a very biased approach to what's happening. Here's the key moving forward. There are three scientists that they've done research, this book came out called Emotions in 2018, that indicate that there's a different way to do this. The first one is the responsible scientist. The responsible scientist is going to say, there's more data available that we can pull from. And do you wanna know it? And he will, and I'm gonna use for me, my responsible scientist then went to these other two scientists and said, hey fellas, if there's more data, are you willing to research that? They're scientists. Now go ahead and play the metaphor with me. The subconscious wants to heal. It wants to find balance, but it thinks, and these are the biased and the unscrupulous scientists, it thinks it's doing the right thing because there's no judgment right or wrong. It's Medicaid, pain or not. 
and it will always go to the medicating pain because it has to find equilibrium. It wants to take away the pain. Where's the pain coming from? The inability to connect, since we're all hardwired to connect. So the responsible scientist says, fellas, more data available. Are you willing to look at it? And they go, yeah, we can, we can go on pause. We're cool. Then it brings in the curious scientist. And the curious scientist does something really interesting. It says, what if? So let's say, what if, and I'll just grab the top one. What if I have worth? That's all it says. What would that look like? What would it look like? How would people treat me? Now, this is a question. Because it's a question, it's able to go from the conscious to the subconscious through what's called the critical faculty, which we've covered in the past. The critical faculty is a filter that stops um, positive affirmations. Positive affirmations can never pass a critical faculty because it doesn't believe it. Once you just ask the question, what if you do have worth? Then it has to go to what's called the quintessential scientist, which will run a, an experiment without the bias of yesterday. So it says, okay, how do I look? If I have worth in this relationship, and I'll just use me and you with Sherry, how do you behave? What's that look like? Reflect on that for a second. This goes to mindfulness and Dr. Siegel at UCLA. Let's reflect on what it looks like. And then the quintessential scientist goes even deeper. How does that feel? Now observe that. How does it feel to have a relationship based where you have worth, where you see yourself as value? So it really sets up your prefrontal context to give you new information and new data that's real, that's true. And every belief I have up there, I have no worth, came from an experience. Behaviors based on belief. I just, in the mind's eye, created a brand new experience. All these neurons got new neurons were created. Neurons that fire together, wire together. I'm starting to create a neural pathway. And you're reprogramming yourself out of those repeated maladaptive behaviors that were causing you the, the bad relationships and the, the sabotaging relationships. That's exactly right. And if you do this over and over again, we call this mindfulness. What they have found at Harvard Medical Center is that if you do mindfulness consistently every day, you will shrink the gray matter on your amygdala which means your fight or flight, freeze or faint motivation is diminishing because you're interrupting the false narrative by bringing in a new set of scientists to operate at the subcortical level. Okay, we're, we're out of time. So let's summarize real quick, Sherry, would you do me the favor? So we were able to unveil those eight false narratives and kind of quickly go through this process of being able to rewrite the script by first bringing in... Um, the five scientists looking at who they are and being able to ask the question of, you know, if there's got to be more data, data there, what if there could be a different way of doing this? And do you want to know it? Well, and then sorry. turning a false narrative into what if I could have success? What if I'm not at fault? What if I am lovable? What, what if I have like? worth? Mm -hmm. And how would that feel? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us. We're out of time. Stay tuned. In our next segment, we're going to have a lot of fun with a special guest of ours by the name of Jack Mayo, who's with us now. And we're going to hear his story and what he's done with his story. And it just segues beautifully yeah. off of what we've covered right now. So this is uh, Authentically You, and we're signing out till our next segment. Take care.
inside my head I try to turn it down But I can't quite drown it out I'm tortured every day These never-ending worries Falling on my sleeve The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plan, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switched to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.